is the Worldly Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Holly. And I'm Luke. Through the conversations we're having on this podcast, we're seeking to connect with what worldly wellbeing means. And by listening today, you're joining the conversation. Today, we're speaking to Kanav Narayan Sagal, who is joining us from Calcutta in India. He is a master's student and also an LGBTQ activist. We're really excited to talk to him today. So let's get stuck into the conversation. Good morning, Kanav. Hi, good morning. Hi, Kanav. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm getting along. I can imagine. Um, so, Kanav, why don't you say uh, hello and who you are and where you're from? Uh, I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love to, to know a little bit about you. So, my name is Kanav. Uh, I'm from Kolkata, uh, which is a city in India. I'm currently pursuing my master's degree from Azim Premji University in Bangalore. And I'm pursuing my master's in development studies. Um, I'll be graduating in a few months uh, I'll be looking for a job soon. Um, but otherwise, I'm also uh, associated with an LGBTQ collective in New Delhi. It's called Harmless Hugs. And uh, I'm really passionate about LGBTQ rights. And this is something that I'm uh, not, not only interested in academically, but also professionally. So this is kind of where I'm at right now in my career and life. Brilliant. Before we get on to talk about that, which would be really great. I think it would be a bit strange for us not to quickly mention the situation that you're all dealing or should I say suffering with in India at the moment. Um, Do you want to just briefly tell us how things are at the moment in India? Right. So the situation that we're dealing with is the second coronavirus wave and it's really bad. There have been lots and lots of deaths and even more. It was something that happened a few weeks ago. None of us were expecting the second coronavirus wave to hit us this way. Um, All of us are in lockdown. And what's happened in India is that there aren't enough oxygen. There there isn't enough oxygen. There aren't enough hospital beds. There aren't enough medical supplies. And the medical infrastructure right now is overrun. So you have a situation where you have too many people who are sick with COVID who need medical care and you don't have enough. Um, we don't have the medical infrastructure to assist these people. So uh, the situation is really bad. So what all of us are doing is we're staying at home, we're staying safe, we're trying to maintain all of the COVID precautions that we can and uh, hoping that hoping that the situation gets better soon. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've been following on, on the news here in the UK and I'm, I'm sure around the world as well. And it's come as a real shock to many who have been reading and following and and seeing some of the pictures that have been coming from India. Um, It has been a real shock to see the kind of sudden spike, Um, particularly when initially it seemed that India had been handling the crisis relatively well in comparison to a lot of other countries with very dense populations. Um, So I think it has come as a bit of a global shock. And I'm wondering if you could just a little bit talk about how it feels there right now. How has it impacted you and your family and your friends? You know, uh, you were telling us earlier that you've had to move back to be closer to family. So I was just wondering, could you just share a little bit about how it feels and how you've been impacted? It feels terrible. And I'm really scared for my life and the life of my friends and family. Um, a very close family member of mine was hospitalized very recently, as both of you know. And finding him a hospital bed was very difficult. I got a call at nine o'clock at night. Um, and this was a call I received from my cousins in New Delhi. And New Delhi is the worst hit right now. They told me that he's sick and he needs a hospital bed and he needs to go there now. 
and so from 9 to 9:30 my mom and i were making calls trying to find him a hospital bed and we luckily got one um and it's been really bad because a lot of people i've spoken to on the phone have told me at least one person who has either died because of covid or or who is in a very serious state um who needs immediate medical care so the it, it it is extremely worrying um but i am i am happy that i'm at home with my family and um, most of my family members are now doing better that family member i spoke about he's recovering right now so i am i am grateful and um, the situation is improving a little bit we do have a few more hospital beds available oxygen is also now slowly but steadily becoming available um, and medicines are also slowly but steadily also becoming available it wasn't available a few weeks ago so it's improving but it's happening very slowly and i just hope this nightmare ends very soon Oh, I'm I'm pleased to hear that there's some specks of light on the horizon. Uh, what just sounds like a really dark, dark time. So yeah, we're sending all of our. I'm not sure what we can send you, but if we could send you all the positive and all the love, it's coming down the airways. That's all we need right now. Positive yeah, for sure. Goodbye. Good <laughs> yeah, I think the. Given the kind of the the context that India currently finds itself in, we're really grateful that you have been able to find the time to come and talk to us today. Um, and like Holly said, we just wanted to kind of mention that because our listeners will be hearing this um, sort of almost quite almost concurrently to when we're recording it. So it's just really important that people, I think, hear what's going on and understand that the impact that this is having. Um, on the day-to-day lives of people on the other side of the planet for us. So so thank you. You mentioned um, earlier that you are passionate about LGBTQ rights and inclusion. And I wonder what that looks like for you. Um, and if you might talk a little bit more about that to get us going. Yeah, so I was never really interested in LGBTQ rights and inclusion before. It was only when I started attending activist meetings in New Delhi. And this this is something that I started involving myself with a couple of years ago. Um, I had gone to study in Canada back in 2016. Um, and when I went to Canada, I had no idea about the fact that Canada was a very LGBTQ inclusive country. I was a very closeted person back then. And I wasn't aware of what LGBTQ politics looked like. It was only when I came back to India and I moved to New Delhi and started working there and 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 living by myself that I started connecting with other LGBTQ activists and attending LGBTQ meetings where I understood how the politics of LGBTQ issues and rights unfolded in India. And at that time, homosexuality was still a crime. Um, and I was very surprised when I found out that. I had no idea that it was a crime to be gay in India. Um, and that angered me. It made me, uh, it shocked, it surprised me. It angered me. There were many emotions. But I was also very proud of the activists who, who worked very hard to try to change that law. And the law did change uh, one or two years later. Um, so uh, as of now, as of 2021, um, I, I look at LGBTQ rights and inclusion as an important issue for the country. I think we have, in our country, we don't talk very openly about gender and sexuality anyway. And even within the sector that I'm in, the development sector, I found it very difficult to to have those conversations with my classmates and even my professors uh, sometimes and try to bring those conversations into the classroom. It's been a struggle. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's an issue that I'm passionate about because it's about my rights. It's about the rights of people who I care about. And I think it will also help a lot of other people, a lot of other Indians who 
who have not been able to come to terms with their sexuality. So, so for me, it's it's extremely important. I guess there's something really symbolic and great about the change in the law, but it sounds like that's just the beginning of the movement and the change. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that the law changed doesn't change the fact that homophobia remains in the country, right? And the same goes with other forms of phobias. Phobia against bisexual people, asexual people, uh, gender non-conforming and transgender people. Uh, the law was changed by five judges sitting in a, in a courtroom in New Delhi. It was not changed by the mandate of the general public. And that means that the general public still remains as homophobic, as transphobic as they were. It's just that because the law has now changed, you can now go, you can now no longer go to jail because you're gay. Uh, and so that is basically basically what the change has looked like. There have been other qualitative changes, however. Um, for example, Bollywood has stepped up and start and has released a couple of movies on same-sex love. You have. Um, small directors making small-scale art films on homosexuality and transgender rights. So you do see a little bit of change in the media, you do see a little bit of change in mindsets and mentalities, but on the whole, uh, you, 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 right, you rightly pointed out, Holly, that uh, changing the law is not enough and that it is just the first step. There are so many other issues that we need to speak about uh, that we just haven't really reached yet and, and so the path ahead is, is still uh, really long and there's a lot more that we can do yeah i think for me personally i, I feel like i have uh, a personal connection to this in a in a different way in that i am a gay british man and my understanding and my own academic research leads me to the conclusion that a lot of the laws in India and in other parts of the former British Empire exist because of our interference uh, and the, the kind of colonial mandates that that existed then. The legacies of those have exist and still in many countries exist um, as a kind of a colonial hangover. And so that sits really uncomfortably with me as someone who lives in a country where, you know, a few years ago I married my partner I have the rights and freedoms of any other person and, and have done for years. And that's not to say that the UK has always got it right on LGBTQ rights and it still gets it wrong, particularly for trans and non-binary people at the moment. But there is a almost a kind of a sense of hereditary guilt sitting there with me, particularly when I then go and travel to India as a tourist and have done many times. My husband and I had a great honeymoon <laughs> Uh, traveling around India and we've been we've been several times together as a couple um, acknowledging that actually the rights and freedoms that I have were taken away from people um, and then now when I travel I get treated in a way that perhaps uh, local gay Indian men would never be treated so my husband and I checked into a hotel we told them we just got married and we got treated probably very differently to how if an Indian couple had said they were together. Um, I, I can just imagine that they would be treated very differently to how two white tourists were treated. Um, so I wonder for you, do you see that? Do you, do you, is that a fair representation of what I've just said, sort of the, the legacy of colonialism and then how that then is lived out today in India? It is. In fact, there's a scholar, an Indian scholar, her name is Ruth Vanita. She currently, she's, a, she's currently a professor of anthropology, I believe, in the U.S. 
she's written extensively about this uh, and many other indian scholars have written about how the colonial exercise inputted various laws in indian statute books and one of them was indian penal code the indian penal code and ipc 377 to be particular and this was the anti homosexuality law that i was uh, alluding to a while ago um and the strange thing is that this law took a new avatar or a new form where even after independence people in india took it upon themselves to protect and to treat supporting homosexuality and supporting lgbtq rights as something western so it was very strange how this there was nothing indian about this law and yet we hung we hung on to it um and and so you know it became an argument about indian culture and western values with where uh, the dominant discourse in, in in not just the courts but also in the media was that supporting gay rights was a western idea but keeping the this this horrible and archaic law was somehow preserving indian culture which is so bizarre um and, and thankfully it, it took a long time but thankfully the law changed and i think we are slowly moving away from that discourse but that discourse remains in various other uh, countries that used to be british colonies Uh, and so the bat this the same the battle that india has won is still being fought in a, in a, in other countries um but i think uh, as far as the path uh, that you refer to with with respect to your visit in india um and uh, and the and the differential treatment that possibly two white gay men would receive versus indian gay men i think that's a fair representation um and i think um it for for a lot of gay men in india coming to terms with the sexuality is difficult coming to terms with uh, telling their parents about the sexuality is also difficult so you can only imagine for two gay men who are in a relationship to go to a hotel and to tell the the staff at the hotel that they would want a hotel room it's it's very difficult i i don't think too many uh, people would have the courage to do that here um, and so it is it is unfortunate and i think it will take us a long time to reach that stage where we will see a greater acceptance for uh, gay couples as well can i be you mentioned earlier Indian culture and western values and i'm just intrigued by these two concepts can you maybe explain to me like how do these merge is there a tension what is what are these two concepts look like in india today and what, can you talk a little more about that it's a really difficult uh, question to answer because uh, at my university we did spend a lot of time talking about westernization um to be very honest um if you if you, if i were to answer this if i if i if i were to even try to answer this um what what i would say is this that uh, as far as lgbtq rights are concerned the argument has been that supporting same sex marriage supporting gay rights supporting transgender rights has been argued it's been argued that this is a western idea this is not something that you see in indian culture the argument has been that indian culture is hetero is hetero normative cis normative uh, you know that lgbtq rights gay marriage transgender rights these things are not a part of what it means to be quote unquote indian um and this is very problematic because as i mentioned before scholars like ruth vanita have actually looked at uh, various literary texts like the kama sutra which talks about sex um and i found that that this uh, that it's absolutely false uh there are various temples in india for example that do uh depict uh, erotic uh, desire um and uh, the kama sutra is another uh, is another book that talks about where that talks about sex and sexuality in a very progressive way um so it's it, it is interesting and it is very uh, disappointing rather how over the years uh, in india 
the con- conversations about sex and sexuality became so taboo it became something that you could not talk about and it became very cis normative heteronormative and completely erased lgbtq identities to the point where speaking about lgbtq rights became something it became unacceptable and it became something alien to indian culture and so this is what a lot of lgbtq activists have now started to say which is which is basically reclaim their space and to say that i am an indian and i am gay i am an indian i am transgender i am an indian and i am bisexual this is who i am and there's nothing western about me and and i think th- those kinds of arguments really helped uh, change the law and i hope it changes other laws as well it sounds like there's real power in those words that you just used i could feel that there was a power in that correct me if i'm wrong in this but it what you were saying was that the part of the Indian heritage or culture is openness, is talking about desires and sexuality. And maybe you can help me a little bit with that. But it's sort of the irony that actually that's all there. That's part of being Indian. Yeah. I do want to mention, though, that a Indian culture, as we call it, is not, has not always been very accepting and diverse. I do want to mention at the outset that the caste system is uh, unfortunately a very uh, problematic system. Uh, form of social stratification in india and i do want to also mention at the outset that uh, i belong to the dominant uh, oppressive caste the savarna caste and um, and so you know when we talk about lgbtq rights in india what a lot of uh, dalit uh, bahujan and adivasi uh, queer people lgbtq people talk about is that the lgbtq is that lgbtq activism is usually dominated by people of dominant castes and that we don't engage enough with this aspect of indian culture which is the caste system um, but otherwise um, you know what what the, what various scholars have said is that um, it it was probably the colonial effect um, because when 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 we were colonized by the british what happened was it was victorian morality it was the victorian values uh, mm. that were imported into india and that for some reason hung on and so marriage being seen as something between a man and a woman masculinity being defined in a certain way femininity being defined in a certain way seemed to be something that a lot of us hung on to and we still hold hold on to that and not just in india but i think in even even today in parts of the western world there are certain parts in america for example i know uh, typically red states where people still cling on to these very very outdated patriarchal heteronormative cisnormative Uh, ideologies so it's very very hard to challenge these uh, these subjectivities and we hold on to them even today so i think there is a lot going on here i think religion also has to play a role in this um so um, challenging religious orthodoxy is also difficult and of course the media the media has been very very unfair to lgbtq people in india and it has only been recent or fairly recent that bollywood and um, you know movies various various small scale movies and films and tv shows have started to try to depict lgbtq people positively so there are so many actors that that are required to bring about change and uh, it's not easy hmm. i mean there are a lot of complex layers going on there kind of <laughs> you, you mentioned the kind of victorian morality piece and i think that's really interesting because it's something that i think Britain still struggles with you know this Victorian sense of morality and the kind of what you should and shouldn't do in the bedroom and who you should and shouldn't do it with um that still is something that is very much part of British culture today the kind of you know we just don't talk about these things um and then the impact that that has had on other countries too um particularly those that were 
formerly formerly colonies of the empire. Um, and it m- makes me then think it kind of then leads into what you were talking a little bit about caste and how the British saw the Indian caste system as gold. They saw a structure that they could utilize and make work for them and then actually transferred that to other countries around the world to try and keep people in order and in their place. And then that makes me think about the importance of intersectionality and the importance of you were touching on, you know, ensuring that the Dalit caste, you know, these these different people have their place and their voices can be heard. And we're seeing something similar in the West, in the UK and the US, particularly when it comes to queer identities and ensuring that that racism, that black voices, that Asian voices are heard in these discourses. And I wonder then, what does it look like in India when we're having these questions around intersectionality, the impact that LGBTQ rights can therefore have on the inclusion of other people, whether it's those from the Dalit caste or you know women or those with disability. I wonder if there's space to explore what that might look like in India too. So just before you answer that one, Kanav, I don't know if I speak for other people, but I don't actually know what the term intersectionality means. Does someone mind giving a quick explanation? Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So the the phrase itself, intersectionality, was was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in the late 80s. Uh, and the work that she did on that initially is in an article that can be found online. You just Google, Google Kimberly Crenshaw intersectionality, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. Um, and in that, she goes into detail about what intersectionality is and the impact it has. She's also recorded TED Talks on this. But the shortest way to describe it is to think of it as a framework to understand how the different aspects of different parts of a person's social, political, economic identities all come together in different ways of discrimination and privilege. Sounds like something that probably both myself and maybe other people, sorry if it's just me, everyone, needs to go and have a look at. So we'll definitely, I'll get Luke to send me and we'll pop in the show notes um, a reference to that to go and have a look. Absolutely. So Kanav, feel free, dive in. So yeah, Luke, to to answer what you had your question, I think with intersectionality in India, um, there's a long way to go as well because uh, once again, as I mentioned before, it has been the quote unquote Savarna dominant caste LGBTQ activists who seem to dominate LGBTQ spaces. Um, but what I do remember uh, listening in, listening to when I attended uh, the LGBTQ activist meets way back in 2016 and 17 was that conversations about intersectionality happened even then. And I remember listening to Muslim LGBTQ people, for example, talking about their faith and what it meant to live in, in India, being Muslim and being queer and how that impacted their life. Uh, I also remember uh, listening into conversations about uh, accessibility for people with disability. So if you look at the Pride Parade, for example, it's very difficult for a person who's on a wheelchair to, to, to attend a Pride Parade because it's a walk, essentially. So how do people who are who are disabled attend a Pride Parade? So we've had these conversations uh, when it comes to Pride, for example. But I think uh, when it comes to acceptance, when it comes to uh, actual rights, uh, there is still a long way to go. Um, there has also been resistance within the LGBTQ movement. And I'm writing a paper about this, actually, for my university, where you have uh, assertions from for example, the Dalit LGBTQ activists who say that we want you to talk about caste and we want you to talk about LGBTQ rights. 
and we want you to talk about how do we make make the space equitable and fair for all but there is resistance um, and i think it's very similar to the example that you gave that you gave about race um, and so these are very uncomfortable questions because it are it, it it means that people like myself who have privilege need to question our own privilege and and it's it's not an easy thing to do um, and the same is and and, we, and you see the same problem with women for example um, again the lgbtq space is mostly dominated by men you don't have enough women and trans women and trans men non binary people uh, in these platforms in in positions of power so it's important to keep asking these questions and it's important to bring these interse intersectionalities up otherwise the lgbtq movement will become once again it will become a movement which will have its own layers of inequalities and we would not want to reproduce these inequalities within a movement that claims to talk about in making society more inclusive and fair it's 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 hypocritical what are the differences or how would it be different for a female and a male who identifies as homosexual in india at the moment so it's it's really interesting that you ask that question because my research topic for my my master's thesis rather which i'm going to start working on from next week actually looks at this question but i have done a fair amount of literature uh, research on this already what i can what i will say is that it is different for men and women in india for homosexual men and women in india i think one major uh, the i think that that one aspect where it really differs is when when we talk about marriage so marriage is unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you view marriage a very central part of of life in india um heterosexual marriage to be precise you are expected to get married to someone of the opposite sex and marriage in india is typically arranged by the family and so with women what happens is most women in india are 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 uh, compelled to get married at an earlier age than men and they have less say in marriage and so it becomes very difficult if you are a lesbian woman uh, who has to negotiate her sexuality as a lesbian woman as a lesbian individual and also as a as an indian woman um whereas as a gay man for for example you might have a little bit more freedom you might be able to delay your your prospect of marriage for example um and you may enjoy and you will enjoy those privileges that comes from being a man and a lot of gay men who i've met um are closeted uh, most of them are closeted and they tell me that you know either we will not marry or we will delay our marriage or we will get married to a woman and lead a double life but i i reckon it's not so easy with women it's much harder so i think it's harder uh, it's definitely it, it's probably harder for women um and uh, yeah i think this is an important conversation to have and i think this is where intersectionality really plays in because I, i suppose presumably it's age as much as anything which makes this more difficult if i could add it's it's i would say it's not just age it's also your economic status and your caste status and various other factors so i think if you belong to us if you are if you belong to come from a family that is higher up in the socio economic ladder you might have the ability to come out to your family and tell them that per, that perhaps you're lesbian or that you're bisexual and 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 so you might uh, you might be given a pass so to speak and not and not be forced to marry but i think for people who are at the lower uh, rungs of the socio economic ladder it gets harder and i think what's also hard is accepting your own sexuality and and that is where the real struggle lies because you have it's very hard to find role models and if you are gay or if you're lesbian or if you're bisexual or whatever it is who do you talk to where do you go for help uh thankfully the internet has emerged as a space where you can explore your sexuality you have a lot of facebook groups you have a lot of whatsapp groups instagram groups instagram pages twitter groups 
so there's a lot happening on social media but once again who has access to social media and who doesn't is a very important question to ask and who and and and, and entering these spaces is also not easy i remember it took me around a year to join the my uh, to join my first uh, lgbtq facebook group and and it was absolutely by luck i happened to meet some a stranger and he happened to introduce me to this facebook group and if i hadn't met him i probably would have never joined that group and i wouldn't have made all the friends i made so it's uh, it's 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 really strange i would say it's very strange and luck really luck and of course your your social location really impacts uh, the trajectory of your of your experience i think that uh, is a nice little segue into what my next question was going to be which is you mentioned earlier on about we were talking about the power of kind of individual identity and staking a claim to your own identity and then you were just a little bit there talking about your own personal experience and i wonder if you would feel comfortable in sharing a little bit more about your journey to kind of accepting your sexuality and your coming out process what that looked like for you given all the other things that we've just been talking about about context and and what it's like in india yeah absolutely so um as i mentioned right at the beginning when i went to canada to study i was very closeted and i didn't even know that canada was an lgbtq friendly country it was only when i came back to india and started attending these activist meetings and started reading up more about homosexuality and lgbtq rights that i started to recognize uh, the importance of my own identity and i remember uh, meeting people i used to go on many dates i had a great time uh, interacting with gay men um and i would ask always asked ask uh, these people who, who i met the same question are you out to your family are you out to your friends what would you do if you were in my position and i received very very different answers and mind you at that time it was a crime to be gay um but i think it reached a phase in my life where i decided that i had to tell my family because uh, i was leading a double life and it was taking a massive toll on my mental health and so i i remember one night i i sat down with my mom and i told her that i'm gay and it was a very difficult um, experience because it could have gone either way she could have she would either accept me or she would not i took the risk and she accepted me and i was very happy um and i came out to my brother the same day and um, and yeah it's been amazing ever since then I, ever since i came out to my family i felt that i was i had the confidence to come out to other people so i told my friends um i wrote a blog article and i got that published and um i think what's happened over the past few years is that younger lgbtq people have now started approaching me for guidance and advice on coming out and also uh with questions about what these various identities mean and uh, i find i find it very overwhelming sometimes but i also think it's it's a matter of privilege that i have which i which i feel i have the responsibility to own own and accept and use wisely I do have a YouTube channel as well where I upload videos very 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 rarely about LGBTQ issues um, I just I do it simply out of out of fun and and passion um and so uh, it took me a while to accept myself but I think it it all boils down to you realizing that there's nothing wrong with you and that you need and and just recognizing that is very difficult and of course having role models having people you can look up to for me it was definitely the activists I interacted with early on in my career it was all those gay men i met on dates um, they actually did help me in in uh, and and at that and and, and oddly enough at that time that was not my intention my intention was not to look for role models but it just happened and i'm very grateful for 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 all of those experiences thank you for sharing that kanavan it's really wonderful to hear 
you're now a, a role model and it's really important I think for all of us to sometimes just stop and look back and realize that there are people or experiences in our lives which have shaped us I'd love to talk so much more about loads of things you've just brought up and I think role models is something because they're actually so key in in our lives um I'm just wondering for you obviously since coming out and since really engaging and you've seen a lot of change I guess in your personal life and in India in general um what are the next what does the next decade hopefully look like what would you like it to look like uh, maybe personally as well as if we could go a bit broader yeah i think the first thing that comes to my mind is i really want corona the coronavirus pandemic to end um agreed yeah this is something that has really done a lot of damage uh, not just to the uh, to the lgbtq community in in some sense but to to all of us i mean there's just no doubt about that for example the pride parade stopped last year and i don't know if you're going to have another pride parade and i think everything is now pushed online which also marginalizes those lgbtq people who don't have access to internet and in india there are lots of people who don't have access to internet and a lot of people who are not fluent in english and so most online spaces in india facebook twitter etc are mostly uh, the the medium of 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 conversation and instruction is english so there is definitely a digital divide that we need to talk about uh, when it comes to access to to information um, and and unfortunately all of these inequalities have been exacerbated because everything has now moved online um but apart from that i think um in terms of lgbtq activism there's a lot that can happen in the next uh, decade um we we recently had a debate about same sex marriage in, in the delhi high court it didn't go too well um the, the, the central government refused to accept uh, to legalize same sex marriage but i think these debates will continue uh, there is so much that can be done i mean we don't have an anti uh, we don't have an anti discrimination law we do not have laws that recognize civil unions forget same sex marriage we don't have laws that recognize civil unions either um we don't have laws that prohibit uh, employment discrimination we don't have adoption laws for lgbtq people so there's a lot of work that can be done and a few politicians have stepped up and are talking about these issues in the parliament um so there's definitely a lot of of room for improvement the media has started talking about the issue more sensitively you have tv shows and movies that are being released every year on on lgbtq issues some of them are problematic some of them are not so once again there's a lot that can be done um and i think personally as well uh, this is an issue that's important for me and uh, i do hope to get involved with this more intently unfortunately the sector that i'm a part of the development sector typically looks at gender as a binary and and in and in india uh, women's rights and, and gender empowerment typically looks at heterosexual cisgender women as their subjects of empowerment so i'm yet to find an organization that works on women's uh, that works on lesbian rights and bisexual women's rights uh, with a lot of emphasis and force there are hardly two or three organizations that do that so i might have to start my own organization that is definitely something that i have thought about um i cannot I'm, i don't i would not want to commit to it at the moment but um there is a lot that i think i i can do as well in a more tangible manner to to further lgbtq rights in my country it sounds like there's there's so much hope and there's so much promise of what can come and often with these things it's education that's key it's constant individual personal growth you know what am i reading what am i listening to what am i digesting to ensure that i'm growing but then also kind of societal education 
how are we learning and growing with one another and challenging each other as well to keep growing? And how are we holding our politicians to account? You know, we started this conversation when thinking about COVID. You know, that is something that the politicians of India, the, the government of India need to be held account on and, and how they have uh, how they've managed this. But also more than that, you know, rights for LGBTQ plus people, rights for marginalized castes, rights for marginalized uh, ethnic groups in India all of these things we need to hold each other to account on so that we can ensure that we grow. And part of that definitely has to be rooted in education and, and understanding of the other. And I would just say, as we've learned from this conversation, I need to continue to educate myself um, a little bit more on these things. But thank you. Personally, thank you, Kanav. And you know, thank you on behalf of the podcast for sharing and giving us a little window into what your world looks like right now it's been really helpful um and it's really made me want to go and learn and look and share a little bit more so thank you you're very welcome thank you so much Kanab. it's been really wonderful to talk to you today thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it's, it's amazing So sincere thanks to Kanav for joining us today, particularly with everything that's going on in India at the moment. We were really grateful to be able to find the time to talk to him. And for me, it's really encouraging and inspiring in particular to speak with LGBTQ plus activists around the world, talking about their experiences and what needs to happen next. I mean, honestly, there was a lot, oh, just so much that I would, so many avenues that I would have loved to chat to Kanav some more. Um, I, I just think having these kind of conversations where we hear from a real person to hear their story, for me, there's something really powerful in that. Um, so I'm really grateful to Kanav uh, for joining us and for giving me some homework to do. Yeah, absolutely. So as we mentioned, we will be putting a few things into the show notes, talking particularly around intersectionality, but also Kanav mentioned some organizations and different things that um, are happening in India. So we'll be sure to link to those in the notes as well. We have now officially coined the term show notes for the show notes they are now show notes we haven't concluded if that's the official word but i think we're rolling with it now i'm fairly certain i stole it from someone but i just can't remember who so shotgun yeah <laughs> show notes um and so of course as ever we do have a little reminder for you like share subscribe review thank you very much and we will see you or rather you will hear us again next week for another episode of the world you are being podcast Namaste. Namaste.